The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome, I'm your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips, and on this show, we'll be turning up the psychological perspective on many life issues. To do this, I want to include you in the conversation. This is Psych Up Live. I welcome you to listen in and call in with questions, comments to today's show at 1-866-472-5788. You know, if you're human and if you're in a marriage or a long-term relationship, you'll at times find yourself fighting. I often tell couples that if you stop hearing the neighbors fighting, they've either moved out or it's time to call 911. Serious, seriously, if it's not safe to fight or disagree in a marriage or a relationship, it's not safe. But there's a way to fight that is not destructive, and there's a way to recover, and there's something else. Today, you're going to hear about the benefits at the heart of couples fight, fighting from relationship experts Dr. Judith Wright and Bob Wright, who are here to discuss their wonderful and very important book, The Heart of the Fight, A Couple's Guide to 15 Common Fights, What They Really Mean and How They Can Bring You Closer. Judith Wright is a longtime media favorite. She's been called the world's ultimate expert by Women's World magazine. She's appeared on Good Morning America, NBC's Today Show. She's she's been written up in Marie Claire, Fitness Magazine, Health Shape, Dr. Wright holds a BA in psychology, an MA in education, counseling, and a doctorate degree in educational leadership and change. Dr. Bob Wright is a marriage and relationship counselor. He holds an MA in communications, an MSW in clinical social work, and a doctorate degree in educational leadership and change. He's been interviewed by Fox News, NBC News, World Health Magazine, and many more. Both doctors Bob and Judith are the founders of the rightliving.com, a personal leadership coaching firm. Dr. Judith Wright and Dr. Bob Wright, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you, Suzanne. Great to meet you. Thanks. Okay. Um, you're very welcome. So let me ask you, you say that conflict is a couple's secret weapon for coming closer. How can that possibly work? What do you mean? 
Well, I think people think, oh, conflict, that means the end of the relationship. I actually talked to an engaged couple yesterday, and she said, we fight all the time. We're wondering, should we not get married? Is there something wrong? And actually, when she told me about it, she was proving my point, because in their conflict, all these issues were coming up to be looked at, things that really were hard in their hearts, things that really mattered to them. And then by their fighting, letting that conflict come to the surface, they were seeing what they're, uh, more about themselves. They were learning about the other one. When they resolve things, they felt closer to one another. They were developing intimacy. Fights can be a wonderful way to get to what's going on underneath, to really reveal what's deep inside you, your deeper feelings, and be closer to one another, to understand each other. If you avoid conflict, you're avoiding intimacy. Right. Now, one of the traps, of course, and you list the 15 most common fights is without an outsider at times to tell you, and loads of folks don't have outsiders. How do we help couples deal with the typical fights that really start to erode their relationships? I mean, what what are the most typical fights you've seen? I've seen the blame game, the fight over money. I mean, where does a couple go with that? Well, the blame game and domestic uh, disputes are two of the most common fights, Suzanne. And underneath those fights is a deeper yearning. And we have rules of engagement that really make it safe for a couple to begin thinking about, hold it, what am I really wanting when I'm fighting? Because too often... If people get stuck trying to prove their point when behind their point is a deep yearning to be seen and to be known. So, so he leaves the toilet seat up, it gives you a fight. But it's not about the toilet seat. It's about like, well, you don't, I think that means you don't care about me. You don't consider me. I don't matter to you. It's, it's that, that you don't respect me. It's symbolic of so many other things. And the, the, the things can be uh, the, the cap on the toothpaste, the, the dishes in the dishwasher. The list is endless of what symbolically means you care or don't care about me. Okay, so let's play it out a little bit. So... Um, she says, I don't know how many more toilet seats I can put down. I can't take it. you got to put the toilet seat down. The kids are playing in the water. The animals are drinking from the water. I, I, I can't live like this. So um, he says, it's no big deal. And she says, it really take it to mean you don't care about what matters to me. And he says, you know, that's not true. And that's where he stopped. Actually, my, my mother was pretty good about the toilet seat. Uh, for Judith, it was about the cover of the toilet seat. But we did have one of those that went on for a very long time, which was my slippers by the back door at our Wisconsin campus. And okay. our, Judith communicated to our cleaning lady, and she persisted in putting them in our bedroom closet when we live in the woods, and the campus is in the woods, and we take our shoes off at the door, and it was a hugely symbolic thing to me. We're talking a four-year battle, Susan. Well, okay. Yeah, and it's true, because I didn't understand what it was really about. I just thought he was being controlling, or just, but yeah, I didn't get it, and I'm sorry about that now. What I really realized, when he finally told me, when I was open to it, it's like, well, this is just, you know, this is a way that I know that you care about me, that you respect me, that I'm having what it is that I need and want, that I can take off 
up my boots at the door and I can put my feet in the nice warm slippers. That just feels really good. Like, you know, I think, well, duh, where have I been all that time? Why aren't I resisting that? But if it just turns into a power and control struggle and you don't get to what it means for one another, that creates problems. But when you get to what it means, I wanted to have that, those slippers for him. There's more I would like to do to make him feel more comfortable. I wasn't really trying to actively diss him. I just was really defensive and resistant, and I really need to get underneath that and unlock it. So what happened in your scenario, and maybe that is the other step, is you, you're you endlessly complaining about the slippers, Bob's not changing it, the cleaning woman intercedes in some way, but actually it's the point at which you say, I feel like you're dissing me, and then Bob, rather than dismissing you, gives the rationale for it, which changes the whole landscape for you. It's totally true because the dynamic factor was Bob wanting the slippers and I was a resistant one. But yes, what you're saying is exactly true. It's like, wow, when, when you realize when we get to one of the skills is yearning, when we get to what it is we really yearn for underneath that fight and we reveal that, it, and that makes a huge difference. It starts to unlock things because then you can understand what the fight's really about because you could win a fight, but, if you, it, but you actually could lose then in a way because the fight's usually not about the surface of it. It's really getting to understanding And actually, and fighting isn't the only way to get to yearnings, because one of the rules of engagement in the second skill, which is to engage with your yearning, is to accentuate the positive. This is one that I fought for years with Judith, saying, well, I'm not interested in any positive affirmation stuff. But the truth of the matter is, the more positive affirming interactions you have, the easier it is to get through a fight. It's almost like you're building up a reservoir of of goodwill. Yes, yes. I I often call it having a net. If you have a positive safety net, there's a better chance you're going to take the time to go back and forth from the heat of the fight to the meaning of the fight. Yeah, beautifully put. I agree with that. I like that, from the heat to the meaning. And, and uh, then you also are much better able to engage in our seventh rule of engagement, which is one of the most difficult ones, which is to assume goodwill. So the more affection that we're experiencing on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis, where we look at each other, we really listen to each other, we appreciate each other, then we're more likely to assume goodwill in the midst of a very horrendous fight. Just in a fight, because you're just, you know, you're jacked up, you're at this high physiological arousal state, your heart's beating, your perception shifted, you can't see. In fact, studies show that in states, you can't see what's good around you. At least 50% of the good things. You start to coat the neutral things with negative. You're actually thinking your partner became this predator, this enemy in those moments. But when you build up some of the reservoir of the goodwill, it's not so. It's not as hard to remember. Wait a minute. This is my friend. This is my lover. This is my partner. I know right now. I think he's out to get me. But something else is going on. And let's get mm. to that. It's easier, easier to get to that base. You know, I, I I love what you're saying. I want to go back. One thing I really loved in the book is the way you described yearnings. I want our listeners yeah. to hear some of the actual, I mean, you talk about them as basic needs, and I think we even forget to even have the words for them, and sometimes the words help in the communication. I wonder if we could talk about what are some of those basic needs we yearn for that are well hidden beneath the back and forth fighting? 
And I think you're describing it well. They're really the deepest, deepest and universal yearnings of the human heart, and every single one of us has them. Let me name some of them, and, and then you can resonate with them. Like, we all yearn to love and be loved. We yearn to be seen, to be heard, to be known. We yearn to matter. We yearn to belong and connect. We yearn to be understood. We yearn to express ourselves. We, we yearn to make a difference. You know, we yearn to do what we came here on earth to do. It's probably at the highest level. But there's mm. these yearnings being seen, heard, known, understood, touch and be touched, love and be loved. That's what's underneath. And, and we don't often design our relationships to directly meet those needs in a way that we need to to really build that for ourselves and to satisfy ourselves. And oftentimes our fights are a way those unmet yearnings are trying to come to the surface and feed me. You know, I need this in that way. And if we can translate our fights to those deeper yearnings, and if we can look at any time we're really irritated or upset or frustrated or angry, there are unmet yearnings underneath. And any moment we're deeply satisfied in our relationship, our yearnings are being met. And we can train ourselves to be more aware of that. We can use that powerful tool of our yearnings. And this is where Mm. it becomes difficult for men because so often our deeper yearnings are looked at as a weakness by men. Mm -hmm. And, and, And to have men begin experiencing the desire to simply be heard, to be listened to, and to not have to get all of our our affirmation in one sexual release, but to be able to get it through many, many moments of intercourse where we're exchanging glances, appreciation, affection, touching each other, and affirming each other. And, and, you know, as, as men, it's not always easy. It feels kind of creepy sometimes. So we've got to get over it. Well, I think you're naming the one of the deepest yearnings to be affirmed. And the studies show that men need affirmation need more of the affirmation even than women. And I don't think as women were that aware of that. I, I have experienced that so much with couples, and I do think it's funny. Women get it very often from many, many sources, and it's more likely a woman's going to say, somehow I need to feel appreciated. Men will go silent instead, and yeah. um, they'll go silent, and sometimes it's men who will withhold sexu- a sexual overture or a bid for, informa- for affirmation or just the tenderness, and the woman often mistakes that as rejection or I'm not good enough yeah. or there's someone else, and then we're into we're on another planet because right. she she's now yeah. acting withholding, which is the very issue he was trying but not quite communicating in terms of feeling appreciated. Yeah, I worked with my first couple in 1974, 1975, and it used to be it was one way man wants more woman, um, it, it, it wants contact. And it has become almost 50-50, if not more men withholding nowadays. Yes, yes. And it, it's very much often about anger or actually being hurt and not appreciated. You know, as we have, as women have entered the work world, there, there isn't the glory of being the breadwinner that was automatically the males. And so lots of young men and grandpa, people are picking up the slack, but often it's pretty invisible. And that's where we need, um, Bob, to encourage men to be able to say, I feel invisible here, which is why maybe I haven't reached out. You know, it has nothing to do with how attracted I am to you. It, it's got to do with feeling invisible. 
You just hit one of our biggest fights ever. We were having our, our first couples retreat had been fantastic, and we had about 22 couples up at our campus in Wisconsin. And I was working with the men, and, and men, you know, know but don't want to admit how um, afraid we are of women. And um, <laughs> Judith was upstairs working with the women on how they weren't going to back down to men. And so I've got my guys all ready, and we're about an hour and a half behind for lunch. And uh, the, the caterer has delivered lunch. It's in boxes on the counter. The paper plates are out. And I grab a paper plate, and I say, come on, guys, let's go. And I grab something out of the box, and Judith runs over and says, no, we have to set the tables. And I say nuts to this. So next thing you know, we're at it, you know, hammer and tongs. And we've got yoga teachers going downstairs to try and calm themselves and meditate. People are outside looking in, smoking their cigarettes. And, and, um, and the women, several women are with Judith, and I'm grabbing stuff as fast as I can, and they're grabbing it off my plate. And all my brave guys but one have disappeared, and that one thinks this is a role play. Everybody else is going, oh, this, this weekend is over. And finally, I get to the truth, which is one of the key elements, skills in fighting, which is to express and agree with the truth always. And I said how helpless and humiliated I felt. And Judith said, good, that's how I want you to feel. That's how I feel around you all the time. Boom. Okay. End of, end of fight. Because, because the truth of the matter is, there were things, and still are on occasion, but, but infinitely less, things I do with Judith in public I would never tolerate her doing to me. So that was a turning point in our relationship. That truth was, mm-hmm. and I, you know, it gave me space, and I didn't know that was going to bubble out of me at that moment, you know, blurted out this thing that right. I was building up for that period of time. And then I was able to say, wow, you know, I, uh, yes, that's true what I just said, and I am sorry that I expressed it irresponsibly as I did, that I didn't say it sooner, that I just blurted it out right now. And we're understanding what's going on with one another. I'm crying, he's crying, we're holding each other. And, and, and everybody's working their way back in in total disbelief. Not one out of 22 couples had ever seen a fight flare up and resolve. And by the way, the fight was about Judith saying eating on the fly meant using paper plates rather than china, but it never meant standing up and eating. Yeah, we had agreed to be behind on the fly, but that was a totally But there was something I was thinking earlier. I would like to hit the women on this one, if I may, Suzanne. Okay. So, so women oftentimes go for what I call counterfeit understanding by gossiping and complaining about men. And they mm-hmm. commiserate with each other. And that is not really getting your yearning map. It's actually counterfeit yearning in what we call the drama triangle. And um, yes. that's a, a transactional analysis term from Stephen Karpman. And, and it, it's really not very nourishing. It's kind of like trying to eat cake for, as your main diet. Eventually, you're just going to get fat. Well, I think yep. that's part of the you know, key responsibility is part of 
what the rules of engagement, and part of this blame game, we're just blaming each other or complaining about one another, complaining to our girlfriends or whatever, gives you a tiny bit of temporary relief maybe, but doesn't solve anything, and it just takes a little bit of the charge off so you're less likely to go actually deal with it. So anytime we're feeling like a victim or we're persecuting one another, wanting someone to come rescue us, we're not taking the full responsibility we need to be taking to really get to resolution, and that is one of the other rules of engagement is that nobody gets more than 50% of the blame. That you can okay. blame, but only 50%, because we're, right. you know, we're in this. And each of us I, is 100% responsible for our own satisfaction and happiness. Okay, I'm going to stop, you, I'm gonna yeah, stop go you right, right there. I love, we're going to come back and talk about husband bashing, which does no good. But let's take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up on Voice America. We're here with Dr. Judith and Bob Wright. We're talking about the heart of the fight, a couple's guide to 15 common fights, what they really mean, and how they can bring you closer. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're talking with Drs. Judith and Bob Wright, and we were talking about conflict as a couple's secret weapon for coming closer. And, and one thing we were talking about is sometimes instead of directing 
um, a discussion or a real sharing of a yearning with a partner, it gets thrown around. Um, women in particular are very good at husband bashing. Sometimes it's done in front of couples, and that's never a great thing. But the real question is, and what I love about their book is, Bob and Judith actually list rules of engagement. I love the term. I mean, how do you fight? How do you argue, which is inevitable and almost important because people are different, in a way that's constructive and that illuminates the real message? So, Bob and Judith, how do we do this? What are these rules of engagement? Well, one of them, a couple we've touched on, but let me try to summarize a couple of them. We'll both dig into them. I mean, the first one is really accentuating the positive. So you have a background of affection and affirmation and curiosity and interest so that you can weather the fights more fully. And the second one is to be aware and minimize the negative. You're going to have negative things. Couples should be real. We're going to say snarky things. We're going to say, hey, we're going to be mean-spirited sometimes. That's part of being human. It's not like you're going to ever get rid of that, but to be aware of that and to minimize the negative. And, and nobody gets more than and 50% of the blame, which even third graders that some of our, our faculty who are Montessori teachers have their students learning can say, oh, my God, I've made choices to bring this fight out to happening. So nobody gets more than 50% of the blame. And that was mm-hmm. really critical. So you will blame, but you have to at least take two to tango. We both are in it. There's something I could have said differently, done something, responded differently. And what's my part, which leads us to the next one, taking 100% responsibility for your own satisfaction and happiness. Those two roles about responsibility, I think, are hugely important because yes. I think one of the you know, misconceptions couples have is that you know, my, my partner's supposed to make me happy. You know, we're going to live happily ever after. It is just not true. Nobody can make us happy. In fact, the studies show, yeah, when you get married, you get into a relationship, you are happier for a little bit, for a while, maybe even up to a year and a half, but it appears that we have a happiness set point. We go back to the level of happiness we had even before we met this person, that that's our business, and that we have to go for our own satisfaction. It's not up to somebody else to read our mind or to figure out how to please us or whatever, but we have to be responsible for hanging in there until we get satisfied, really doing what it is we need to do in order to get completion and, and to have that sense of happiness that's ours to create for ourselves and that's really important. I think if we if a couple actually set as part of the infrastructure of their relationship the agreement that when they do clash, each of them gets fifty percent of the cause of it. No matter how much it looks like it's the other person and you're free, you're the angel devil. If you actually agree with it it really changes the nature of the relationship because it means you'll not be afraid of fighting. There won't be the yeah. silent treatment because it'll yeah. change the way you think about what are we doing. It'll allow uh, yeah. for it'll allow for much deeper thinking about the back and forth because you'll be forced to self-reflect on yes, he's late again. I'm racing with the kids. There's no dinner. Wait a minute. What part could I have played? Now, that's very easy, very difficult to do at 7 at night when the kids haven't been fed and and they're not on the field. But when you can rethink about it and debrief together, if you're willing to say, oh, okay, what part did I play in this nightmare tonight? It's a different marriage. That's totally true. And I think, it, yeah, it can't always happen in the moment with other pressures or whatever, but if you have that agreement and you're going to go back to that, and actually, even if you're in the middle of the fight and you're just so wrapped up and you can't quite see that, 
you know, to call a timeout is not a bad thing. Timeouts are not just for kids. We had to do that early in our relationship. I would get mm-hmm. really flooded in our fights, and I couldn't think, and I would try to, you know, I'm sputtering, and I'm acting as if I know what I'm doing, but I'm really gone. You know, I'm really just disappeared. We had a signal where I would say, Bob, this is one of those times I need some space, and it wasn't just to stonewall or just to withdraw. I really need to get my head together <laughs> to figure out what was going on. He would, we'd grant that. We had an agreed-upon time that we would do that. Which was never more than 20 24 hours, yeah. by the way. Yeah, we always came back. Good. And then I could come back, I was able to reflect on what was my part, what was really going on, what is it I was really yearning for, what do I really need and want, and then continue that. So sometimes interrupting a fight can actually be good, but not to just push it under the rug. You know, you have to come back to it. Well, the very first time a couple tries that, and then the person really comes back it's a wonderful thing because then yeah, the trust yeah. about that is there. And then that timeout yeah. belongs to both. But in, you yeah. know, women, Judith, how we are, we can go on and on and on and out, talk oh. most of these guys most of the time right. at a speed right. at a speed that they can't catch up with. So if they can't take a timeout, we become yeah. very verbally, ag- women become very verbally aggressive and don't realize it. So that timeout is crucial. Yeah. For well, yeah. and the reason the woman becomes increasingly aggressive, or the man in our case, becomes increasingly aggressive, is their yearning to be heard, to be seen, yes. and to be understood. Well, and I think yep. you know, if you look at that, it, yeah, it is. It's hurtful. I like, ow, but you don't know how to say ow. You know, but right, also in that right. di- dynamic with men and women, kind of more traditionally, is that, that you know, woman, Bob says that women are like verbal black belts. And they're kind of like, we know that, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's martial true. Arts in that way. And just blah, 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 blah. And what happens for the man is he, he gets emotionally flooded in that. And then how he responds to that, trying to deal with that. Flooding is to withdraw, withhold, get silent, which just escalates the woman because it makes her crazy that he's not there. She gets worse and worse, and he withdraws yes. more and more, and it's a vicious cycle that we need to break. Yeah, I, I have sons, and I used to say to them, why do you always side with Dad? And they'd say, well, Ma, because you he's not competing with you once you start with the words. So I thought, Man, okay. And, you know, it's, it's very true, but it doesn't really allow, it really doesn't allow for the woman to get what she needs, which is to be right. heard because she hasn't right. stopped talking because exactly. of that yearning, which is, you know, when we have a yearning and it's not met, and I yeah. know one of the beautiful things about one of your steps is looking into your own p- history about, yeah. were you ever heard or where, who didn't hear you or where right. were you dismissed? You start to realize that you have an overdrive for something you never had, and that's part yeah. of this yearning. Well, that's the, kind of the magic of the beauty of relationships because it brings it to the surface where you can reveal that, which is a, that skill. We call that reveal. And actually have that tended to. I mean, it happened for us in our relationship. It did, I had these fights with Bob all the time, and I had one big symbolic one about it when I, we were leading a, a seminar, a training together, and something about what we were leading, something was really triggering for me. I was like, wow, I really stirred up some of my own stuff that I wanted to talk to him about at the break. And at the break, so he went right to his computer, and he's typing, and I said, Bob, I really want to share this with you. And he wouldn't stop typing. And I was escalating. I was getting so frustrated and so hurt and so mad that he wouldn't stop and listen to me. And he kept going. And I finally just kept expressing myself. I said, Bob, please, look at me. Look at me. And then, oh, my God, this is how I felt with my dad. This is how I felt with my father. Oh. And behind, you know, behind the newspaper. And he wouldn't hear me or wouldn't see me. A kind of ghost-like middle child. And I was reliving. Oh, that's why this bothers me so much. This is a, me as a little girl not being seen. And I really started to realize that. Bob finished what he was doing, paid full attention to me, and he, 
turns out that he had something that was coming up for him that he wanted to capture, this inspiration, this thing he wanted to type so he didn't lose it. He wasn't just trying to ignore me. But when I got to what that was and I shared it with him, that how the pain of being that little ghost child and what that felt like to me, and then he looks at me, I reveal that, that's part of the skill, revealing to myself what it was and sharing it mm. with him. And then he looks at me with tenderness and care. I can now let his attention and compassion and care being part of my new circuitry. You know, I can actually rewire that memory with some compassion and care, and that's what's so amazing when we understand about interpersonal neurobiology and neuroplasticity. We can take in that love and care of our loved one and actually tend to and heal some of those wounds and finish that unfinished business, and that's what's so Mm. powerful about relationships. It's so well said. Now, one one of your rules of engagement, the one where everyone has to take a responsibility for 100% of their happiness. I'll tell you where people have pushed back on that. So a young mother says, I don't get it. I mean, so are you saying I I just as well could be a single parent? I'm totally responsible to make myself happy. And now that I have the responsibility of the child or someone else says, why did I get married if the presence of my partner is not supposed to make me happy? So what do we respond to? to these folks with. Let me give you a story about this first, and then we can go into the dynamics of this story. Woman starts our year of transformation, and she has huge complaints about the man to whom she's married, to whom she refers as, what's his name? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And and no one knew the man's name. Two and a half years later, she started working on taking 100% responsibility for her own happiness. Happiness and satisfaction go together. Mm -hmm. And and remarkably, he started changing. He never did any of our courses, never did any of the work she's done. However, two and a half years later right now, uh, real time, they are deeply in love. He not only has a name, people hear about him, she speaks about him with pride. Now, so what you're saying is how can that be and and isn't that a different kind of circumstance? Actually, no, because you choose whether or not your spouse makes you unhappy. If if my spouse can make me unhappy, I have a, a victim script. I have what transactional analysis would call a drama script. And I am dependent on someone else for my own happiness. So, uh, and the question that that young wife, hypothetical wife, or real wife, a young wife, mother of one, two, or three, is is really very good because it opens her up to look at what is the purpose and function of a spouse, and it's not to make us happy. It may be to help us learn and grow and become our best self, but sometimes a negative lesson is the best lesson we can get. And it doesn't okay. mean we shouldn't have moments of joy and appreciation and fun and romance in relationship, but that's, it's the purpose of a relationship is to learn and grow and become our best, not just to be happy. And if we can get that, it's actually kind of, it's, it's a whole different context for the relationship. And it actually leads to more of those 
joyous, blissful, contactful moments that we're actually hungry for. But otherwise, we're kind of playing this game like, well, if you really love me, you do this. You make me happy. You read my mind. You obey my wishes. Okay. And that's a setup that, that's not going to lead us to true contentment and happiness. Okay, so let me, let me see if I can restate based on what you said. So if the young mother really redefined her source of happiness as that place in her life where she finally has had a baby and despite the sleep deprivation and all the work and juggling her job in between, she's delighted with this gift in her life. That's a primary source of her happiness. She can't be miserable all day and expect him to come home and work a miracle. But what we could expect, perhaps, from couples is that we enhance each other. So if this man came home and literally poured cold water on the joy she spent that day with that baby and with working and juggling it and feeling a sense of mastery, we would be in a real problem marriage because she had taken responsibility, but perhaps he hadn't. So we're saying if, if each of them owns their own day of happiness, we are hoping people enhance each other or appreciate each other's sense of worth. Well, and let's take your hypothetical situation. She's really worked on maintaining a, a, a positive frame uh, of, and he comes home and she's warm and enfolding and he poops all over it. Right. What do you do now, now, if she's taking 100% responsibility and nobody gets more than 50% of the blame, she's going to learn how to say, you know, I feel really hurt right now. And then she, and, and then if, if, if he, some men will just become defensive and they won't even be curious. So right. then she may have to sit back while he runs his defenses and, 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 and she could say, well, but are you interested in what it is that caused me to be hurt or you just want to defend yourself from hurting my feelings? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he goes defensive again, and she, if she's really doing the game, like we, we granted, she's near saying to it now, <laughs> but she's really doing the game, and she just stays clean and without blaming him, acknowledges that she, he was hurtful. Sooner or later, he's going to just melt and go, okay, what's it about? Right. And then... And then, then the, she will have actually strengthened herself. What, what some people have a hard time understanding is that, that we're lifting weights in relationship. Every time we work on this 100% responsibility, we get stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the, story I, the story I began this seg- segment of our conversation with the woman is in, in her 50s. Her daughter has graduated college, and um, they had been married for over 30 years, and she had been resenting him for 20 of it. And, mm. and, and this was a pretty deeply ingrained pattern, um, and, and, but she was a very good student. She had been a top uh, marketing executive, and she started applying this, and darned if he didn't suddenly turn off the TV one night and actually talk to her, which, hmm. which was one of her major complaints. But she learned to communicate with responsibility in a way that did not blame. 
Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. We, as you're saying, as she shifted the dynamics, there shifted. He might have felt, well, a lot of burdens off me now. I could actually see her as a person rather yeah. than as someone who's criticizing me all the time. Right. Well, and as a counselor, you know that we run into people all the time saying, well, I tried that. Well, trying it once is not doing it. Hello? I lifted, I lifted <laughs> weights right. once, but I don't expect to be an NFL football player lifting weights once. <laughs> well, that's a very good metaphor. We're going to have to take a break. Um, you've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're here with Judith and Bob Wright. They're delightful. They're talking to us about the inevitable conflicts in a, cu- in a couple's relationship and how to use them to become authentically closer and to become more engaged. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you love to travel? Now, that's a silly question, isn't it? Who doesn't love to travel? Join Lindsay T. Boyd, a.k.a. the Dreamweaver, for Travel Time. A professional travel agent, Lindsay will spotlight the world of travel, from maps and other travel tools to make your trips easier, to your rights as a passenger, to different aspects of travel, such as sports, faith, or experiential vacations. Travel Time with Lindsay T. Boyd, Dreamweaver, airs live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're talking with Drs. Judith and Bob Wright, and we've been talking about 
really making the conflict matter in a relationship. And before we go any farther, I'm sure our listeners want to reach both of you, order this book. How would they do that? Let me do it a couple of ways. Go to theheartofthefight.com, heartofthefight.com. You can download a free chapter of the book that gives you some of these rules of engagement in them. You can take a personality quiz. But also, there's, um, down at the bottom of the navigation, there's a foundations weekend training. And I want to tell you about that because anyone listening, we do a training, Bob and I, on, on all of these skills and how to really live a great life and how these deep, juicy, amazing relationships. Ordinarily, we, we had charged $800 for this um, weekend training, but it's complimentary to anyone hearing us right now. So if they go to the foundationsweekendtraining.com or it's on the sites as well, they can just sign up for it as our guest, come to any one of the next five in the next, that we do in the next year, and we'd, we'd love to meet you and, and be able to give you that training. So heartofthefight.com, and also might be interested in Right Living, that's W with a W, rightliving.com. You can find out about all the kinds of things that we do, and even our graduate university, we would love that. We'd love to have everybody to get all the freebies and, and come have this training where we can really work on this together. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that offer, that complimentary offer for any of our listeners. Thank you so much. So let's let's proceed a little bit. Um, wait, one of the big pieces is how do you really change? And we were talking a little bit at the break, Bob. You call it rematrix in the book. How does a couple start to do it different? Well, first of all, I'm yearning. I'm engaging in my yearning. And sometimes I get hurt. But if I'm hurt, I have a piece of unfinished business. And I, underneath that unfinished business, I have a limiting belief. Uh, maybe I, don't, I believe I'm not lovable. Maybe I believe I'm not good enough. And that belief causes me to hold back expressing myself in certain ways that would be true to me. And liberating is when I do something directly to challenge that belief. If I'm in a room where I figure I'm not good enough, well, I share what I'm thinking and feeling anyway. Mm. So that's Mm -hmm. liberating. If I learn to liberate with strategy to actually turn myself into someone who is good enough, I am now rematrixing. And neurologically, I'm developing new neural pathways. And at the beginning, it's kind of like going through the densest woods. Once you get through a section of woods, you turn around, you can't even see where you were. People think that doing something once makes a difference. No, rematrixing is taking a machete and cutting that path and then taking uh, the machete back and cutting it again and again until it becomes a clear path. And then it's starting to go back and forth until it becomes a road and eventually becomes a superhighway because we have to develop new uh, neural uh, neural flow and, and behaviors, thoughts, feelings, and actions that become absolutely habitual in a opposition to that limiting belief and that's where dedicating comes in it's it's use it or lose it because our, our nephew was one of the sec the second strongest kid on michigan's last national championship football team well today he has a phd from the rand institute and he probably couldn't lift half of what he could lift before same mm. as muscles same ner- your, your neuroscience you use it or lose it mm-hmm 
Mm-hmm. So it, it's interesting. It's it's really your message and uh, Judith, your examples and Bob, yours. It's really a a lifestyle change based on very valuable skills that allow you to know yourself, engage differently with your partner, and then risk and practice doing it differently. Yeah. And when you do that consistently enough, this is what's so beautiful about relationships, is that, that your relationship can be really about learning and growing and transforming. It's a playground where you can practice things to assert yourself more fully, express that that's what you need to be doing, to shift behaviors over and over and over again and develop these new habits. It's not just to control your partner or to make them be the way you want them to be, but it's really like, wow, who can I become? What do I need to practice? For me, I had to, this, I told you I'm a little ghost little child, I had to learn to become more assertive, to express my needs more fully, to, to give my opinions out. I married an opinionated man, which is part of what attracted to me about him. He was so strong. But then I started to resent him <laughs> for that because I wasn't asserting myself. So that's part of the rematrixing is learning from one another so that I become more assertive. I become more clear on what my points of view are, become more expressive. And that's been like a transformational uh, aspect of a relationship for me. And that's what's possible for couples, that we can become more of who it is that we really want to become, and our relationship becomes kind of the, the womb for us to do that, and also kind of the crucible, that's right, where it gets us on our cutting edge, so that we can keep growing, which feels deeply satisfying, and the studies show that as well, that couples who keep growing, couples who contribute to one another, expanding their perspectives, trying new things, learning and growing, those are the couples that are the happiest and most satisfied. Mm. You know, one of the uh, things that Bob mentioned at our break, and I see with couples, so I want to underscore it, is small is big. Um, That is, there's many, 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 many rounds before something works. You give one example of the lateness fight. She's home, he's late, and you have her doing what I think is such an interesting thing. She's going to try that if he comes home late, I'm going to welcome him and hug him and say, I missed you. And that is lower the defenses and because she really did miss him. And then talk about it's hard. It's hard when you're late waiting. So she's going to do it different. And, you know, so someone will say, so great. She says that once. How's it going to change? But all of us know, and you gave the example of bodybuilding or working out. If you consistently do something, it starts to shift, but you've got to have the patience. Sometimes a a client will say to me, I'm shifting and he or she's not noticing. And that's a big piece, too, is the patience to notice the small steps because that's the way there. Yeah, it's really true. We, we call that the law of little things, that it's really change is best not made by just one leap. It's really this little thing by little thing by little thing, little step by little step by little step, and then you cover a tremendous amount of territory. And in the example you give, it's incumbent on her to develop what uh, Dr. Snarch calls a, a, a self-validated intimacy and existential psychology is an internal locus of control. Right. And her, her win is for her. And yes, it would be nice if he affirmed it, but her challenge is to affirm herself and to be known by him. And tell her truth regardless nice. of how he responds, you know. And right. then, because well, at, the, at the end, I mean, you want to be known and seen, and if you're not willing to take that risk, regardless of how they're going to respond, you'll never have that opportunity. And you grow stronger yourself as you do that. 
The real gold, I love you. I love your clarification, is in her saying, I missed you, not yeah. really in what he does. That right. his, cha- his change is his change, but that she went public right. and was heard to be what who she is and what she needed. That's a wonderful clarification. That's great. Because you can own that. That you can control. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's, that's terrific. So let me ask you, both of you, in your journeys and all the workshops you've given, personally, what has surprised you most in terms of personal change or change as a couple or in the couples you've seen? What's been the biggest surprise for you? You know, I'm going to speak that at two levels. It might, being in a relationship myself, it, it was a huge discovery. I didn't know what was possible in a relationship. I didn't know before I was involved and we've been working these things. I didn't know that you could actually have a relationship with no secrets. I didn't know you could be real. I didn't know that mm. intimacy was something that could grow. I mean, I just, I love Bob more and more all the time, and he's always growing, so there's more of him to love. And, of course, we fight. That's the whole point of what we're talking about. But I didn't know that intimacy grew. I didn't know that truth was really so related to love. I didn't know that this is level of reality and that your relationship could be this ongoing, uh, amazing journey. <laughs> I'm like, And now mm. that you see it with Bob and me continually, but now that we've worked with couples over, you know, thousands of couples now over 30 years, and some of them we've seen not when they're in trouble, some are, of course, but some of them just want to say, okay, what's possible in a relationship? And we've been on this adventure of, wow, what can you do when you keep just pushing the, pushing the envelope for a relationship? That's been shockingly amazing to me, the levels of intimacy and challenge and how couples can, can really keep growing in relationship. That's just blown me away. Wow. Thank you. How about you, Bob? Uh, well, I, I think it's pretty simple. I, I have no idea how full of horse manure I was um, <laughs> and, and, and how much I had to learn. Uh, so, so I think there's one story that exemplifies it unusually well. Judith Steins and, and had done some amazing work early in her career with uh, handicapped education. And, <laughs> and so we were at the Theater of the Deaf, National Deaf Theater, whatever it was, seeing, seeing uh, Children of a Lesser God long before the movie was made. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's a scene where the speaking teacher is in, in love with the deaf teacher and he forces her to talk, just harasses her until she just says, I hate you, I hate you. And it's just heartrending. And, and um, as we left the, the theater, I was saying how good it was that he did it. And Judith was telling me what a horrendous man he was. So fast forward to William Hurt and Marley Maitland in the movie, and we go to the movie and we watch the exact same scene, and we come out, and I gave, go, what a jerk. And she goes, no, it had to happen. And then we both <laughs> realize what just happened and begin laughing. Uh-huh. We really learned from one another. I got a totally different perspective. We've both grown through that. So I, I'm, uh, I'm dramatically different in some ways than I, I had ever imagined I would be. I think one thing you both said that I want our listeners to take away is not assuming you know 
how the story ends or who your partner is because, as you both say, people keep changing and growing and how wonderful to be curious to see or to know what you don't yet know about your partner. The prediction of what your partner is going to say or do is very limiting. We all do that, but actually it stops the story. So if we really keep thinking about who else could I be and what else can I do and who else is he or who else is she, you keep the relationship very, very vibrant. As you both have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. Your book is not only is it beautifully written, it has so much in it. And I would encourage anybody to buy it and to certainly, I think it'd be a wonderful experience to be in your workshops and your seminars. I want you to thank you both again for the contributions you made today to all our listeners. Thank you so much. It's been so great being with you, Suzanne. Thank you. Thanks to my listeners. You can hear this show and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, and on the podcast app of your iPhone or iTunes under Psych Up Live. By tonight, this will be a podcast that you can access at any time. Next week, we have Dr. Haas coming on. Dr. Ed Haas is a psychiatrist, and this man is an expert in everything from martial arts to mysticism, music, and math. But it's the birth of his daughter that really awakens him to the gift that a child offers, which is to be a catalyst for self-discovery for yourself as a parent as well as for your child. And he'll be on talking about his book, Transformational Parenting. I want to thank you again, welcome you to send me a note or a comment at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please take care. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. 